Welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. C.H. Spurgeon, who pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London in the 19th century, wrote the following, quote, When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself, and though I I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. I can recall the very day and hour when I first received those truths, uh, the doctrine of election, in my own soul, when they were, as John Bunyan says, burnt into my heart as with a hot iron, and I can recollect how I felt that I had grown on... Uh, a sudden from a babe to a man, that I had made progress in scriptural knowledge, though having found once for all that clue to the truth of God. One weeknight, when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon, for I did not believe it. The thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I, but then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. How came I to read the scriptures? I did read them. But what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. And I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. This last phrase uh, summarizes really the entire quote. He says, I ascribe my change wholly to God. We might also uh, throw in here in in quote Jonah 2.9 where we read, Salvation belongs to the Lord. We have been talking about faith. We've had a number of podcasts on this topic, and I do want to just conclude this series today with a final podcast on the gift of faith. Uh, This is one of those areas in church history that has produced a lot of discussion, uh, debate, argument, division, and I would like to look at this really from a biblical perspective in order to discern what God has to say about the matter. One thing to note as we begin is that this doctrine uh, is held within a context of the entire Bible, and in some ways, uh, one's view in this area is impacted by one's view of a thousand other doctrines. We could, for instance, discuss the order of salvation and how that impacts our view of faith. We could talk about the doctrine of total depravity, which necessitates the divine influence on the soul. We could review the doctrine of election or even the doctrine of eternal security. And as we would review each of these doctrines, we would see that in some way they impact our understanding of the doctrine of faith. Um, But we want to do something different and go straight to the Bible. Instead of trying to learn about the doctrine of faith by implication of other doctrines, uh, we want to learn directly from the scripture itself. And so I'd like to begin with two verses from the Gospels. The first verse is the story of a father who has a child possessed by a demon, and the disciples are unable to cast out the demon, so the father comes straight to Christ. 
And Jesus tells the Father that he must believe, or as we know when we see the word believe in the Bible, it's the same word as the word faith. They're, they're cognates. We have a noun in a verb form, believe, or, or to have faith. And so the Father is told by Jesus that he must believe. The Father responds in Mark 9, 24 with this statement. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. And so the Father here is asking Jesus himself to give him faith because he knows that he's lacking in it. He realizes the inadequacy of his own faith. And we find that the apostles do the exact same thing that this father does. When we go to Luke chapter 17 and verse 5, the apostles simply say, increase our faith to Jesus. Now, these verses are simply just a couple of starter verses, perhaps to whet our appetite, because uh, someone could potentially come along and say, you know, oh, the Father, the Apostles, they were simply mistaken. Um, And uh, I don't think that is the case, partly because Jesus does not rebuke them for having bad theology. He doesn't say, you know, oh, I can't do that. I can't help you with your faith. Um, But we will continue to press on and and look at other verses that I think will strengthen our case here. Uh, And the case that we are making today, in particular, is the case that faith is a gift from the Lord. Jesus himself says in Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now, this is an interesting one. God the Son prays to God the Father that Peter's faith would not fail. Now, if human faith were entirely an act of the human will alone, uh, apart from God's influence, then what point would there be to pray for it? Uh, We also have a similar prayer in Romans 10.1, where Paul says, "'Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer,' to God for them, uh, that is his fellow Jews, is that they may be saved. So, Paul is praying that the Lord would save them. I'd like to read to you a quote from John Piper uh, in his book, The Pleasures of God, that I think captures really what's going on here. He says this, quote, "...people who really believe that man must have the ultimate power of self-determination can't consistently pray that God would convert unbelieving sinners. Why? Because if they pray for divine influence in a sinner's life, they are either praying for a successful influence, which takes away the sinner's ultimate self-determination, or they are praying for an unsuccessful influence, which is not praying that God would convert the sinner. So either you give up praying for God to convert sinners, or you give up ultimate human self-determination, end quote. In other words, when you pray for the salvation of a relative or a loved one or a friend, what is it that you are praying for? What are you asking God to do? Are you praying for God to have an influence upon them and to change their mind in such a way that they will uh, choose Christ? Only people that believe that God grants the gift of faith are truly able to consistently pray for God to convert souls. If you believe that self-determination ultimately lies with the individual, uh, 
then God will not interfere. And prayer for the salvation of souls is pointless. So far then, in our little study here today, we have people in the Bible praying for faith. Then we have Jesus and Paul praying that God would give faith and salvation on top of this Father and these apostles. And I'd like to give another line of reasoning that looks at two passages in particular that touches just a little bit on the order of salvation. Specifically, these two verses say that something must come before faith if faith is going to be expressed. The first one is in John 10, 26. Jesus says, you do not believe because, why is it that they don't believe? What is the reason that they don't believe or have faith? He says, because you are not among my sheep. And so here in John 10, 26, the context is that the Jews are not believing that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus rebukes them, and he says that his works bear witness to him. And then he says they don't believe because they are not among his sheep. This, of course, is the doctrine of election. They have to be part of the elect first. They have to be part of his sheep before they can exercise belief or faith. And that's exactly the point of this next verse, Acts 13, 48, which says this, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, who are the ones who believed? In Acts 13, it is those who were appointed to eternal life. So the order is important in these two verses. In John 10, 26, it is you believe because you are part of his sheep. In Acts 13, 48, it is you believe because you were appointed to eternal life before you believed. Those who are appointed to eternal life believe. That is important to note the order. It does not say that those who believed were then appointed to eternal life. It says that those who were first appointed then believed. This clearly sets the stage for the doctrine that faith is a gift from God, where the ultimate power of self-determination lies with the Lord and not with us. In the words of Romans 9 in verse 16, we read this, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. I want to take a look at a couple of other verses briefly and then conclude with Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, but first, I want to see Acts 16, 14. This is the story of uh, Lydia's salvation. And in Acts 16, 14, we read, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What is significant about this is that Lydia's salvation required divine initiative. The Lord first needed to open her heart before she could believe. Then in Romans 12, in verse 3, we have this. For by, grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
Now, this statement by Paul goes hand in hand with Jesus' statement earlier that Peter's faith would not fail. God has assigned faith to us, and it is at his initiative that he has assigned a measure of faith to each of us. And then in Philippians 1.29, we read this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And so the word granted is used to describe our reception of faith or belief. It has been granted to believe. Belief and faith uh, something that is granted to us by the Lord. And then finally, we get to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which many of us have memorized, which says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, we want to zoom in on the word this, where Paul writes, This is not your own doing. We want to ask ourselves a question. The question simply is, What is this? What is not your own doing? Well, in the context, it could be the grace was not your own doing, it could be the salvation was not your own doing, or it could be the faith was not your own doing. Now, from a perspective of grammar, uh, the word faith in the Greek is feminine, and the word grace in the Greek is also feminine, and the word saved in the Greek is masculine. So, what we would want to do uh, from a grammatical perspective is to take a look at the word this and see, is it feminine or is it masculine? And then we could match it up with uh, the uh, word that it goes with. But what is interesting in the context is that the word this is actually neuter, which means that it does not agree with any of these individually. And so what this means and the conclusion that we need to make from this is that the word this is actually talking about all of these things collectively. When we say or when we read, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, the conclusion we have to reach is that it is the grace and the being saved and the faith that is all included in the gift. Each one of these, grace is a gift from God, salvation is a gift from God, and faith is a gift from God. Now, I will note, in order not to overstate my case, it has been argued on grammatical grounds that this is not what's being said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But the next most likely grammatical meaning would be that you would want to connect the closest word uh, with the pronoun this, and so the closest word would be faith. So either way, whether you would say that because it's neuter, it includes all of the words, or if you say, no, it's just the closest word, either way, uh, faith is part of, or it is the gift. Faith is a gift from the Lord. And this really brings our discussion on faith to a conclusion for the time being. Faith ultimately is the gift of God. It is initiated by God. It is wrought about in our hearts from the Lord and his kindness, which should push us to worship the Lord, that he would be kind enough to us to grant spiritual life to us. 
Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.